It's the Sunday morning after Easter. You can see it. Last Sunday, churches all over this land were beyond overflowing. Extra chairs were placed in aisles to accommodate overflow crowds. That was last Sunday. Last Sunday, I read the resurrection story. We were focused on the reality of an empty tomb. And many, if not most, went home to the same old life they lived before. Monday came. And with it came the frustrations and the fear and the fatigue of another week. Did Easter really make any difference? Do you think it might have seemed a little like that first Easter? The women returned from the empty tomb with the news that Jesus was not there, that Christ was risen. But to those who first heard it, it seemed probably somewhat like an idle tale, a, a, a hallucinogenic fancy. Peter and John were appointed the investigative committee. So they had a race to the garden, to the place of the tomb. And sure enough, they found it the way that they had been told. The stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty. They could not find the Lord. Of course, the official report that went out across the city was that the disciples had stolen the body. They were filled with fear, doubt, anxiety, just like many of us are today. What do you do after that? They had to be wondering, what do we do now? So they called a meeting for that Sunday evening. The church came together to hear all of the stories, to hear all of the reports, to get all of the information and try to get at the truth. There were a lot of questions that needed to be answered. Where is he now? Would he reveal himself again? Will we recognize him? What, what's he going to look like? It was a group of anxious disciples that met there together. And then a week passed. And so I want us to look together this morning and see what was occurring, what, what was happening. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to take it and turn to the Gospel of John, the 20th chapter. We're going to read some words that I think are, are fairly familiar to most of us. They span an eight-day period. And some amazing things occurred. And I want us to try to get a grip on those this morning, wrap our head around them a little bit. So we're going to read together beginning in John chapter 20 at verse 19. If you found that place, if you can, Will, I want to invite you to stand with me this morning in honor of our Heavenly Father as we read together from His holy and inspired Word, this amazing record of what transpired. Beginning at verse 19, we read, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Now, I want you to go back and look once more at verses 26, 27, and 28. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Would you pray with me? Father, we came into this room this morning, many having already forgotten what last Sunday was about. Another week of life has wiped out the memory of celebration. Some came in doubting, filled with fear. Some came needing to hear you say to them, peace. Father, I pray that as we spend these moments together in your word, that you would speak your truth into each of our lives, whatever our situation might be, wherever we might be mentally, emotionally. I I just pray that you would meet the needs, that you would see the sin, convict us of it, call us to the cross to meet Jesus there. And Father, I pray that we would bow before our risen Lord this day. And Father, I pray, teach us your truth. For we're ready to listen. For we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It was Easter Sunday night. Many of you have no idea what you did last Sunday night. You don't remember what you did on Easter Sunday night. But God's Word tells us that on Easter Sunday night, Jesus went to church. The believers gathered in the upper room trying to make sense out of what was going on. If you've got your Bible open, I pray that you still do. Look again at verses 19 through 23. See what happens on that first Easter Sunday night, on the evening of that first day of the week. That first day of the week, that's the first Easter. When the disciples were together with the doors locked, 
for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Can you imagine what thoughts, what emotions, what, what words would have rushed through their minds, would have filled their hearts, would have tumbled out over their lips? Put yourself in that upper room. You've all gathered together, and now the doors are locked. There's no way for anybody to get in, no way for anyone to get out, and all of a sudden, there's Jesus. Oh, my Lord. Yes. Probably somebody in the back raised a hand and said, glory. See, they began to praise. They began to shout. They began to rejoice. Why? Because the risen Lord was among them. What an unexpected blessing it was to experience the living presence of the Lord himself. And he gave them his blessing, peace. Man, I'm going to tell you something. They weren't feeling peace, that right there. They were in the room and locked, the Bible tells us, because of their fear of the Jews. They were afraid they were next. They had watched Jesus crucified. They had seen him beaten and bloodied. They had watched him die on the cross, and they thought they were next. I'm going to tell you, the last thing that anybody in that room had before Jesus showed up was peace. And the first word out of his mouth is peace. He knows what we want. He knows what we need. You know, I read this thing, and I'm just going to tell you, I, I have to ask the question, who in their right mind takes role on Sunday evening? Nobody does that. Nobody takes role on Sunday night, but this first church did. Say, so, well, how do you know that? Look at verse 24. Thomas called Didymus the twin. One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. You ever wondered why Thomas wasn't there? I mean, what, what, why would a church leader not be at church on Sunday night? That's just inexcusable. You ever thought about, I mean, everybody else was there, but Thomas wasn't. I'm curious. You may not be curious, but I'm curious. Was Thomas sick? Had company come over that day and he got to talking with them about everything that had happened over the last two or three days and, and he just forgot or, or maybe he hadn't heard there was going to be a meeting that night. Maybe, maybe he had some business that he had to attend to and so he got caught up in that and just didn't get loose. Maybe he was at home pouting because God didn't show up and do what Thomas wanted done the way he wanted it done when he wanted it done. Those are all very human explanations, right? Whatever the reason for his absence, I want to tell you something. Thomas missed out on a great blessing. He wasn't there when Jesus showed up. He wasn't there to hear the master say peace. He wasn't there when the master breathed the Holy Spirit onto his followers. And I'm going to tell you what happens right after that. What happens right after that is what we read about in the following verses. Verses 24, 25. You ready? 
Now, Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. They told him about what happened to church. But he said to them, I get this, kind of hear a little bit of snarky in his voice. He's kind of snide. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Do you hear what he's saying? It may be good enough for you, but it ain't good enough for me. They came and told Thomas, and I want to tell you what that did, folks. It set off a week of wondering. What in the world had gone down? What had happened? They came and told him what happened in church that night whenever the body of believers was all gathered together. And that whole week after Easter, Thomas was on the prayer and visitation list of the first church. I'm just telling you, the only way I know how to think about this is run it through the filter of, of what I know and what we do. and, and how well, I can only imagine what it would have looked like in our current model. They had told Thomas what had happened. Thomas had rejected it and refused it. Probably on Monday, Peter and John came visit his home. Maybe went by his place of business. And they started telling him their story about how they had run to the tomb that morning. And, and, and when they got there, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty. And they couldn't find any evidence of Jesus. And, 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 and then about seeing the risen Lord in person that night. And, and Thomas probably looked at him and said, guys, listen, that's great for you. I'm glad you've had that experience. I haven't had that experience. And I don't doubt what you saw. I'm sure it was very real to you. But unless I see it too, unless I experience it myself, don't you expect me to believe? On Tuesday, I imagine Mary Magdalene showed up with a goodie bag at Thomas's home. And she began to tell him the story of her early morning visit to the tomb. The stone, the empty tomb, seeing Jesus himself, listening to him speak her name through the tears. And Thomas probably looked at him and said, Mary, listen, I know you had a very emotional experience. It always is when somebody meets the Lord. But you know, I was reading an article the other day, and, and doctors say that sometimes in the midst of a very emotional experience, we may see and hear what we want to in the midst of that, that experience, but that doesn't mean that it's real. Now, I don't know if they met on Wednesday night. Bible doesn't tell us that. I kind of doubt it. But humor me for a moment. If they did, I'm just going to tell you, Tom was at the top of the prayer list. I mean, he's had all kinds of church leaders come to his house and tell him what had happened. He's rejected it time and time again. Can I just tell you something? Brothers and sisters in Christ, hear me. I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm trying to get a point across. Oftentimes, reality seems unrealistic to unbelievers. The reason why is simple. We walk by faith, not by sight. Unbelievers walk by sight and not by faith. So what you know to be true, what I know to be true, what we believe together to be true, doesn't necessarily ring true to one who does not know Jesus. We live in a skeptical age. There are scoffers everywhere, people constantly trying to explain away what God has done, what God is doing. That's always been a part of the heart and the pattern of mankind. That was true even in the first century. Poor Thomas. 
Poor Thomas, he's numbered among the disciples. He's counted among the twelve. But see how his doubts worked in his life, worked in his mind, worked in his heart. He said to them, except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger where the nails were and thrust my hand into his side, I won't believe it. I got to see it myself. Just by missing church on that first Sunday night, Thomas's entire story's changed. Rewritten. If not for his absence that evening, he would probably not be known as Doubting Thomas. Had he been there when Jesus first showed up, there would have been no doubt. He would have seen, he would have touched, he would have been like everybody else, but he wasn't there. And because of that, his story was rewritten. If it hadn't been for him skipping that night, how would Thomas be remembered? Have you ever thought about that? Of course you haven't. Only weird people like me think those thoughts. <laughs> everybody knows. I mean, you say Thomas, everybody just thinks doubting. Doubting Thomas. Because he wasn't there, he didn't see, he didn't experience, he didn't touch, he didn't feel. And so he didn't believe. But I'm going to tell you that had he been there that night, rather than being remembered and known as Doubting Thomas, we would probably remember him much more along the lines of a guy like Peter. You remember Peter. Brash, bold, outspoken. He's the guy that when they came to arrest Jesus had a sword stashed away. He wasn't a swordsman. He was a fisherman for crying out loud. He, he pulled out the sword and in order to decapitate someone, he missed and just got their ear instead. And Jesus had to fix that. That's, that's how Thomas would have been remembered. Do you know why I say that? Back in John chapter 11, Jesus was getting ready to make his journey back down to, to Judea, from Galilee to Judea, to go to Bethany where Lazarus had died. And his disciples are trying to talk him out of it and say, Lord, do you not remember? We just left there a couple of weeks ago. These people were trying to kill you. And he told him, he said, I have to go. And he just flat out told him he was going to die in Jerusalem. And it was Thomas. It was Thomas in eleven sixteen who stepped up and said, if he's going to go, let's go and die with him. That doesn't sound like a doubter to me. That sounds like a courageous man. But we remember as the doubter. Why? Because he wasn't there that first Sunday night to see, to touch, to feel, to experience, to know that Jesus was really alive. I'm just telling you, folks, you say, well, what in the world is he going on about this? It's easy. I want to make sure you understand how your life story can be rewritten if you skip church. <laughs> Got your Bible? Can we race to the end? Okay. Got your Bible. I want you to look at verses 26 through 28. 
And I want you to see those first words. A week later. A week later. One week later. Today. The Sunday after Easter. His disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Circle that. Outreach works. Inviting people works. Telling people what's happening at church. It works. Thomas is back. And again, the doors were locked. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, folks, listen to me. Jesus is God in flesh. He is the sovereign Lord. He knows your every thought. He knows your every word. He knows what you've been up to. He knows where your strengths are, but oh, does he know where your weaknesses lie. And he calls out Thomas. Verse 27, he said peace to the whole group. But then John says, then he said to Thomas. You ever had God call you out? I have. I remember when I was saved, folks, I don't think God was speaking to anybody else in the entire building. He was just talking to a little burr-headed kid that was rotten as it could be. He called me out. A number of years later, when I was 14 years old, I was sitting in a crowd of almost 7,000 people, and I know God was speaking just to me when he called me out to preach the word. If God's never called you out, we need to talk after the service is over, me and you. He calls out Thomas. The Lord said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. The very thing Thomas said he had to do in order to believe, Jesus said, here it is. Stop doubting and believe. Now, I just want to tell you something. Jesus did not have to give Thomas what he asked for. This is an act of grace. This is a display of God's mercy. Thomas, you say this is what you have to have in order to believe. Here it is. I don't know what Thomas was thinking at that moment, but if, if, if he's anything at all like me, he was just probably thinking to himself, praise God for the blessed patience and grace of our Savior. Jesus didn't write Thomas off. He didn't write me off either. He hadn't written you off. But he refused to let Thomas continue to be overcome and controlled by his doubts. I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about. All right? We're not talking about some pretender. We're talking about Jesus Christ, Messiah, the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Redeemer. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the one who had served the disciples a week before by washing their feet and then serving them their dinner. And he met Thomas's demands. He didn't have to. 
but he did. He gave Thomas the proof that he said he needed. And then he told Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Let your faith run wild, Thomas. Friends, all joking aside, there's danger in missing church. There's danger in, in breaking fellowship with the believers. There is danger in just saying, well, I'm going to go up my own way. I, I, I love the Lord, but I don't want anything to do with these people. See, when you break fellowship with believers, like, listen, can I tell you something? We're imperfect. And if you go shopping for a perfect church, you're never going to find one. Because every church is made up of imperfect people who serve a perfect Lord. And they are the blood-bought, redeemed saints of the living God. That doesn't make them perfect. It makes them forgiven. But whenever we break fellowship with the body of believers, let me tell you what happens. Our, our faith begins to cool off. We lose the joy of fellowship with brothers and sisters who share our faith. We lose the satisfaction, the fulfillment that is found in Christian service. So how do you know if that's happening? I'm fixing to tell you. You will begin to deny him. You will begin to grumble and complain and moan and groan about everything that's going on because it's not going your way and it's not done the way you want it done or it's not done the way we've always done it before. Got quiet on that one now, didn't it? You see, that's what happens when we withdraw from fellowship. Rather than rejoicing in what God is doing, we begin to nitpick at what we don't like. And I'm pleading with you this morning, don't let that happen to you. Man, just, just immerse yourself in what God's doing. Stop doubting, believe. I want you to look at Thomas's confession of faith with me. Verse 28. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Now, I just want you to think about those words for a moment. My Lord and my God. This is a personal confession of faith. Thomas isn't quoting anybody else. He's not saying something he heard somebody else say. This is born out of his own conviction as far as we can tell, as far as we know. Being in church the Sunday after Easter did something in Thomas's heart. He had a, a fresh vision of who Jesus was. He rededicated himself to the mission and the ministry of the kingdom of God. His faith was revived or born again or born. I don't know which it was. But what Thomas said in his confession of faith, became the pattern of confession for all believers. My Lord and my God. Others had called him the Christ. Others had referenced him as good teacher or, or a miracle worker. Some called him rabbi. And even a few bold souls who didn't care what other people thought had said that he was in fact the Son of God or referred to him as Messiah. Thomas called him Lord and God. Adonai, 
and Elohim. The one true living God. My Lord and my God. What a profound utterance of speech. Thomas looked and maybe for the first time he fully understands that this is the sovereign Lord. This is creator God. This is the master, the giver, the keeper, the sustainer of life. Adonai, Lord. Listen, you don't call him Lord until you're ready to surrender everything to him. All of your life, all of your possessions, all of your time, all of your talent, all of your love, all of your family, all of everything you have or ever will have, everything that you have to, in your possession or all that you ever will be. When it is his, then you can say, Lord, Adonai. In concluding, I want you to see what the Lord said to Thomas. It wasn't included in our scripture reading. So if you've got your Bible open, look. At verse 29, Jesus told Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's not what we see that gives us faith. It's what we believe that we cannot see that strengthens the faith in our hearts. In his first or second letter to the Corinthian church, excuse me, second letter, the Apostle Paul wrote in chapter 4, verse 18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Can I tell you something, friends? There, there's a danger in seeing, in making, in making our sight the satisfaction of our curiosity and being content with, with just what we can see. There's danger in that. Seeing and touching may help with faith, but it never produces faith. I want you to think about what I just said. I want you to catch hold of that. Seeing and touching may help our faith, but it can never produce faith. I believe, I, I'm convinced that years later, Peter it was now an elder statesman of the church. He's getting toward the end of his life. He's writing some letters that would be widely circulated among the churches in Asia Minor. And in 1 Peter, his first epistle, in the first chapter and the eighth verse, he wrote these words. I'm convinced. <laughs> I'm as convinced. He had to be thinking about that night in the upper room with Jesus and Thomas. He said, though you've not seen him, you love him. 
even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. This Sunday morning after Easter 2017, I want to extend an invitation to you. An invitation to love him. To love him because he loves you. An invitation to love him because he is the son of God that takes away the sin of the world. He is the one who took your sin upon himself when he went to the cross and he laid down his life so that you could truly live. I want to invite you to love him. I want to invite you to believe in him. Exercise the faith that the Spirit of God has birthed in your heart. Understand that who he is, he is because God loves you. And he wants you to believe and to embrace, not just to believe with your head, but to believe and know in your heart. I want to invite you to be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Well, that sounds like an awful lot. No, it really isn't. Let me, let me boil it down. I want to invite you to meet my Jesus. I want to invite you to know my Lord. I want to invite you to receive him as your Savior. I want to invite you to join with me and other brothers and sisters in Christ as we follow my risen Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know this. I say this and I conclude. I say it with every ounce of my being, with every fiber of who I am. He is risen he is real, he is alive, he is here, and he's waiting for you today. He's waiting for you. The question is, will you come to him? Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of commitment, a song of surrender. I I don't know how I don't know how to share the word of God. I don't know how to say to you, I invite you, and then not give you an opportunity to respond. And it may be that you're here this morning and you're sitting in that chair and you're saying, you know what? I've heard all these stories before. I've heard these stories, but I want to ask you something. Do you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God raised him from the dead? Do you know that he is your Lord and Savior? Do you know? Do you know? that you are prepared to spend eternity with him. Because, my friend, that's what this is all about. Do you know? If you don't know, I'd love to visit with you. I'd love to show you from the Word of God how you can become a child of God. I'd love to show you how you can know that you have eternal life. In a moment after I pray, if you need that relationship, if you want to know that, would you come and take me by the hand? We will not embarrass you or put you on the spot, but we would love to visit with you. Maybe you say, you know, I, I know that, and I, I believe that. He saved me, but I've let sin take up residence in my life. I've let my life become a train wreck again. 
Would you come back to him? Would you return to the Father's home and say, Father, I've sinned against you. Would you let him clean you and set you on this path together with us again? My friend, what is it that you need to lay at the feet of Jesus this morning? Do it. And trust him to fulfill his promises to you. And you'll find he's faithful. Always faithful. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Lord, how challenging it is to to look and see people who are so like us. People struggling with doubt. People who are sometimes in the right place and sometimes in the wrong place. People who are trying to understand, trying to to get a grip on it, trying to figure it out. That's who we are. Father, I pray for us in this room this morning. If there's someone here who doesn't know you, someone that your spirit is drawing and calling, I pray that they would hear your voice and they would come to you in confession and repentance, allowing you to do a transforming work in their lives. Father, there's some who came into this room, they belong to you, they're your children, but they're hurting, they're wounded. Life's begun to take a toll, it's gotten harder and They're struggling. I pray that today they would find encouragement. They would find hope. They would find some who would walk with them for a ways. Father, I don't know what it is you speak to the hearts of each individual, but I know that you do, and I pray that you'd help us to hear and respond obediently this morning. Father, have your way in our lives. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.